Friends, this morning we are continuing in our Back to Basics sermon series where we're doing exactly that, going back to the basics of the stories that we know and love. Um, Over the past several weeks, we have been in the book of Genesis. We started where we should start in the beginning with creation. We've remembered the fall together, Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel, um, some of Abraham and Sarah's story. And then last week, Aaron and our intern um, shared with us the story of Jacob and Esau. And so today, we're going to follow Jacob's line through Joseph's story. Genesis is about 50 chapters long, and Joseph's story is Genesis 37 through the end of the book. So that's a big chunk of the book of Genesis, and that means that this story really matters. It's been given a lot of space. Logistically, this story is important because once we leave Genesis, we move to the book of Exodus, and Exodus opens in the land of Egypt. So the first question we as good readers have is, how do we get to Egypt? And we know how we got there because of Joseph. So it's important logistically and geographically to have his story included. But just within itself... If we put Exodus aside, just within itself, it's really important that we have this story of Joseph. Because in this story, God is moving. God is extending the covenant. Before we get to Joseph, God says this to his father, Jacob, in Genesis 28. God says, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, to the north, to the east, and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you, God says. And will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. We need Joseph's story because through Joseph, this covenant continues. The people will be blessed through Jacob's offspring, of which Joseph is one. But when we first turn to it, we might not recognize it as a story of blessing because this is a very broken family that we are dealing with. This is a family that has experienced significant betrayal. This is a family that has caused and experienced significant pain. This is a family that is grieving. And when we get to Joseph's story, this is a family that is waiting, waiting, and waiting. But this is also a story of hope and forgiveness, so it's good for us to turn to it together. Would you pray with me before we do? Lord God, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, our utmost single concern. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.
We're going to begin this morning in Genesis 37, which is where we're first fully introduced to Joseph's character. But there are some assumptions that the writer is making, some things the writer assumes that we know. So I'd like to remind us what it is that we know before we get to the story. So what we know together is that Jacob has 12 sons. He has 12 sons with four different women, Leah and Rachel, who are sisters, and Zilpah and Bilhah, who are their servants. Leah's the lucky one. She gets to bear six of those kids. And Zilpah, Bilhah, and Rachel each bear two children for a total of 12. Joseph is Rachel's first son, Jacob and Rachel's son. And Jacob loved Rachel. She was the love of his life. So he treasured Joseph. So Joseph is Rachel's first son, but he's Jacob's 11th son. So we have 10 sons and then Joseph, the 11th. And then finally, Rachel has one more son and his name is Benjamin. And she dies after giving birth to him. So the narrator assumes that we know that information. The narrator also assumes that we know that those brothers, those 12 brothers, they've caused a lot of mischief. And so has Jacob. One of them, Reuben, slept with his brother's mom. Two of them, Simeon and Levi, murdered all of the men at Shechem because they raped their sister, Dinah. One of the men slept with his daughter-in-law because he failed to give her an heir. And let's not forget what Jacob did, too. He's the patriarch, and he stole the blessing from his brother Esau. So this is a family that has experienced and caused a lot of pain. Will this be the story of Joseph? Will he, too, like his brothers, cause pain, or will his story be something different? Read with me in Genesis 37, starting in verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending to the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilhah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. 
When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maybe you noticed as we read this story, Joseph is 17 years old when this happens. That's the age of our senior high school students like Zach and Ethan and Lauren. He's only 17 years old and he is the 11th of 12 sons. So if you can imagine that firstborn son and Joseph, there's probably a bit of an age gap between the two of them. And yet 17 year old Joseph says to his brothers, you are going to bow down before me. How crazy is that? And his brothers are not pleased. They're not pleased because they don't want to bow down to him. And they're also not pleased because this is their brother who is favored by their father. So not only does he feel that he is better than them, but they, in their minds, but their father too believes that he must be better than the brothers. So we see again this family conflict, which originates with Jacob and Esau and continues with these 12 brothers. His brothers find him incredibly irritating. He thinks he's better than them. And then right after this passage, if we were to keep reading, we would see that Jacob sends Joseph to go babysit his brothers. Jacob hears that his brothers are in Shechem. Shechem is the place where their sister, Dinah, had been raped. So Jacob is remembering the violence that occurred in this place. And he sends Joseph to make sure that the brothers aren't getting into any trouble while they're there. But this fuels their fire because they hate their brother Joseph, their brother Joseph who steals their father's attention. So as many of us know, what do they do? They plan to kill their brother Joseph. Reuben feels kind of bad about it though, because he's feeling guilty about a few chapters back when he slept with his brother's mom. So he says, let's not cause any more drama. Let's not kill our brother Joseph. Let's just throw him into a cistern. So they do that. They take off his robe and throw him into a cistern. But brother Judah sees that there's some Ishmaelites coming from Gilead and they're on their way to Egypt. And he has a better idea. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him to these Ishmaelites who are making their way to Egypt. And they do it before Reuben gets back, before he can question their action. Friends, we know this story. The brothers sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites and he makes his way to Egypt. If we pick up together in Genesis 37, 31, we hear this. They bring Joseph's robe, the beautiful robe, give it to him by his father. They slaughter a goat and dip the robe in blood. They take the ornate robe back to their father and say, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. Jacob recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob, his father, tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son 
in the grave. So his father wept for him. So Joseph is on his way to Egypt. When Joseph gets to Egypt, he's given to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar sees in Joseph that he is skilled. We also hear that he's kind of good looking as well. But he's really skilled. And so Potiphar gives him a place of high prominence within his house. And he allows him to oversee all of the comings and goings. And Joseph is well respected by the other staff. He's also noticed by Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife sees that Joseph is a good-looking guy, and so she tries on multiple occasions to catch his attention and to seduce him. But Joseph, unlike some of his brothers, turns away her advances, and finally she gets so frustrated that he will not go be with her that she tells her husband Potiphar that he has actually been trying to seduce her. And Potiphar's not too pleased about that, so he decides to throw Joseph into prison. And that's where Joseph sits. But same with Potiphar. The warden of the prison notices that Joseph is a really talented man. He's a responsible man. So he puts him in charge of all of the prisoners. He puts him in charge of all of the folks who are there. And Joseph is allowed to oversee, again, their comings and goings and care for them. And one day... Potiphar, or uh, Pharaoh, sends two of his servants down to the prison, a cupbearer and a baker. The cupbearer, or the butler, and the baker have dreams that they don't understand. And Joseph is able to interpret for them, Butler, what's going to happen to you is in three days you will go up and you will be restored back to Pharaoh again. But baker, not the case for you. In three days you will be impaled. And that's exactly what happens to the cupbearer and the baker. This is important because the cupbearer leaves the prison, but Joseph does not. He remains, and the text tells us that the cupbearer forgot about him. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And he doesn't understand his dream. But his cupbearer says, I know a guy in your cells who might understand your dream. So they get Joseph, and they bring him to Potiphar, or to Pharaoh. There's lots of P words in this text. They bring him to Pharaoh. And we know what happens. He understands Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh, there will be seven years of abundance in Egypt, and then there will be seven years of famine. We must take the seven years of abundance to prepare for the seven years of famine. And I wonder, what responsible, attractive guy can you put in place to help you as you do this, as you prepare Egypt for the famine that will come in seven years? And Pharaoh does that. He puts Egypt, or he puts Jacob, Joseph, in charge of all of Egypt. Now, friends, this is a long story. I didn't even read the entire thing. I summarized it for you. But we find out, if we were to read the text together and turn to Genesis 41, which is where I just left off, that Pharaoh, when he made Joseph the person who was in charge of all of Egypt, guess how old Joseph was? He was 30. Joseph was 17 years old. 
a teenager, a child, when his brothers enslaved him, sold him to slavery and sent him to Egypt. And now 13 years have passed. Joseph spent years in prison caring for the prisoners, the cupbearer and the baker. Before that, he spent years caring for the household of Potiphar. And now he's 30 years old. For 13 years, the brothers have been lying about Joseph's death. For 13 years, a father has believed that his son is dead. For 13 years, Joseph has believed that his family does not want him to be a part of their life. So Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge, and he has two sons. He names one of his sons Manasseh. Manasseh. Which means... May I forget all my troubles from my father's household. And he names his second son, Ephraim. God made me fruitful in the land of my suffering, Manasseh and Ephraim. The story of Joseph could stop right here. He's had success. He is now one of the leaders of the nation of Egypt. He's had two sons. He's 30 years old. He's got a wife. He's made it to the top. He has settled in Egypt as per the promises that God made to his father, Jacob. The story could be done here for Joseph. This is it. He's made it. But this is not the end of the story for Joseph. And this is not the end of the story for Joseph's family. It could be. Maybe it should be. But it is not the end. Joseph is 30 years old. And there's seven years of abundance. 30 plus 7. He's now 37 years old. Two years of famine passed. Joseph is now 39 years old. At age 17, his brothers sold him into slavery. And at age 39, he encounters them again because they are starving in this time of famine. And they come before the Pharaoh and before Joseph and beg him for food. But they do not recognize him. Joseph recognizes them because they have come and they have bowed. And he knew at age 17 that this moment would happen. But they do not recognize him. He's a man now. And he's in the place where they least expect him to be. I'm not going to summarize for you what happens in um, chapters 42 through 44. But I will tell you that Joseph was very suspicious of his brothers Um, that he wanted to test them, that he wanted to assure that they had become honest men in the decades it's been since Joseph last saw them. And after he tests them, after he reaches a place where he feels like his brothers have indeed become honest men, Joseph says this to his brothers, and this is the moment, friends, that I want us to really pay attention to because this is where God speaks to us also. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. They're surprised. And Joseph says this to them in Genesis 45, verse 4. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold 
into Egypt. Before we go any further, this is the moment. This is the moment for Joseph to get pretty upset. For the past two decades, he's probably imagined this. What will happen if I run into my brothers again? What will happen when I see them? What will I say? Will I yell at them? Will I shout at them? Will I gloat over all the success I've had for the past 20 years? Success that they did not wish upon me. His brothers too. I'm sure they imagined this moment for the past 20 years. What happens if we run into our brother Joseph who's alive Even though we told our father he is no longer alive, what will he say to us? What will, what will we do? How will we continue to cover up this deceit? This is the moment they've both been thinking about for decades. And Joseph doesn't yell. He doesn't shout. He doesn't gloat. He says to his brothers, and now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God has sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me. You didn't send me. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by great deliverance. In verse 14, Jacob throws his arms around his brother, Benjamin. Remember his mother, Rachel, who had Benjamin and weeps and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, they talked together. This is so like God to not let the story end where it does a few chapters ago. This is so like God to bring together the brothers who are experiencing shame, who are experiencing irritation, who experienced anger at their brother. It is so like God to bring Jacob, the one who is grieving, the loss of a son, the one who is grieving the loss of a wife. It is so like God to bring the feelings of betrayal and loss and isolation and confusion that are carried by Joseph. It is so like God to bring this family together. It is only possible by God because the one is ready to forgive and the others are ready to ask for forgiveness. It took 20 years. It took 20 years. But the one is ready, and the others are ready, too. Hebrews 11 remembers Joseph. If you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, it's a chapter of Hebrews that lists important characters in Scripture who are attributed as having good faith um, or having a faithful life or doing faithful things. And it says this about Joseph and about his father, Jacob. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons 
and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. These were all commended, these people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, witnesses like Jacob and Joseph, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Friends, I don't know if you've ever experienced bitterness. I won't make you raise your hands because this isn't youth group. I don't know if you've ever experienced grief or shame. If you've ever experienced being cut off by a family member, likely not in this way, but in other ways. I don't know if you've ever experienced losing a loved one or being lied to by a family member, maybe even for a long time. Maybe that's been plaguing you for one day or two decades. Hebrews 11 and Joseph's story reminds us that just as Jacob's descendants were like dust that went out to the north, the south, the east, and the west and settled, that we too can be a blessing where our dust settles. Amen? Amen. This morning, as we um, move into a time of congregational prayer, um, I'm going to lift up Ken and Esther Lemon. Jean Osink is asking prayers for them. Esther is Ken Osink's sister, so this is Jean's sister-in-law. Ken and Esther Lemon are both currently hospitalized um, with COVID-19, and they both have significant cases. Um, so Jean has asked that we would lift up Ken and Esther Lemon together, um, and we will alongside all those that we remember who are being affected by COVID-19. So I'll pray for this now, and I do invite you, as you go about your week, please remember Ken and Esther and Jean too. Let's pray together. <clears throat> 